Today is August 21st, 2022. Uh, I put aside the previous lessons that we were working on concerning uh, suffering of Christ and suffering for Christ. And this morning I'm going to entitle this Knowledge versus Acknowledge. Uh, acknowledgement. Uh, that's probably the simplest way. It may not sound like that's the, what we're talking about sometimes here, but we will uh, start with that anyway. Uh, so there's an issue with the word, uh, and I think most of us are aware of uh, the word epigenosco or epigenosis in the Greek, which uh, has to do with knowledge. And if you uh, go and look uh, at places where you look at those words and whatever, uh, and, and then you check them out with uh, the King James Bible or whatever Bible you're using, <coughs> You will see that there's there's a many who uh, feel that these two words are the word gnosis and epigenosis and uh, <coughs> excuse me and uh, anyway that these words mean the exact same thing and as as you go if you if you start going through the Bible and looking at these words where they're used. Uh, you'll look at many occasions where that appears to be the, the same uh, also. Uh, the intention of this study uh, was uh, brought to my attention in my reading of the scriptures and so forth and trying to fully understand what these things mean. So what we're going to do today is take a look at uh, not all of the occurrences, but many of the occurrences of these words in scripture and try to understand how the, 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 the what the meaning actually is and how it impacts things. Uh, I don't think we'll get through all of it. I'm not definitely not definitely not going through every single verse in the Bible that contains one of those words. But um, we will pick up next week. I think some of the words that are uh, a great uh, sensitivity to to most of us. Uh, it's it's probably when you get into the prison epistle era of scripture, you're going to see that these words are used a little bit more uh, more than before. And uh, and at, at any rate, let's uh, what I'm going to do right now is begin with reading Ephesians 1 through 14. Just primarily reading it with a few comments. Because it's when we get to the, when we get to 14, you'll notice that Paul now begins to pray. So here's a prayer of Paul, and it's a reference to, uh, I'll read 14 and 15 of first, oops, I'm in the wrong, I'm in first Corinthians here, sorry. Get over to Ephesians. Come on. Okay, uh, verses 14 and 15, we read this, chapter 1, which is the earnest of our inheritance. So that means everything that goes before verse, thir- verse 14 is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, 
cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, so here's Paul is changing from a long dissertation on wonderful things that pertain to those who are members of the churches of his body. And now he's going to pray for them in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give, here's the prayer, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So the King James Version gives you, gives you the word knowledge here. And so without, we're not going to go ahead and get in great depth on this particular verse, but this is what's launched this whole thing. And so his prayer has to do with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the question is, is this word knowledge correct? Which means uh, by knowledge, your own human knowledge, you're able to understand these. I shouldn't say your own human one, but, but what he has told us in a, prior to this here, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is uh, is either associated with the knowledge or it's it's a, it's a word that takes action. That is to acknowledge. To acknowledge something means you're going to do something about what you know. So we're going to be looking at several verses that deal with that. And it does make a difference in Scripture. And maybe you say, oh, that doesn't matter to me or whatever. That's fine. This, you know, this isn't about trying to be right or better than somebody else. But it is important to understand, uh, it, you know, the exact meaning of some of these things. So, uh, we're going to begin with, uh, I'm going to read this, let's read the first 14 verses here. And, and think, keep in mind that this leads Paul to a prayer. He's going to tell us of our position, shall we say, in Christ. And then we will, and then he's going to get to the point where he's done telling us, so we shouldn't, we should have all the information, so to speak, of what's, what he's referring to here. And then he's going to, began to show them a particular prayer. So let me begin here with chapter 1 and 1 of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and you might want to take a look at that word will there and the number of times it's used. I think it's used four times in the first chapter here. Uh, but remember, this is God's purpose that he's referring to when we talk about, when we read these things, which are at uh, he says, to the saints which are at Ephesus. And, uh, you know, you can go online and find some of the, the early manuscripts. And, uh, and if you, if you can even begin to read the, the Greek letters, cause they're all crammed together and they're, uh, they're in the, the high, t- the higher tense. And so, uh, if you were able to go and look at one of these, which you're, which you are able, it's free, go online and do this. Look at one of the original manuscripts, and you'll see that it's been written in by hand off to the side, the word Ephesus. So uh, you might have an argument here that we're not, we're not talking specifically to those Ephesians, but uh, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, as we go on to read here, and to, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
And I just stop right there for a moment and say, wow, blessed be the God and Father. We're talking specifically about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ here. I'm a Gentile. You mean you're going to include me into something that has to do with God? These are serious words because this book was written to Gentiles, this whole book here. So we're going to see some things that should just knock us on our feet when when we consider what this really means in the the midst of the entire scope of all the scriptures. Uh, Some of the things here are very personal. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I'm not going to look and talk about every single one of these, but think about what these mean to you individually. How important, how wonderful these verses are. According as he hath chosen us in him before the founding, the catabole of the cosmos that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, pro-arizo, marked us off beforehand. He looked out into the horizon, the word pro-arizo is where we get our word horizon. He looked off into the horizon, out into the distance, and predestinated us unto the adoption of sons, not children, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. There's the third time I think this occurs in this chapter. If we had the time, we'd look at that. We will, I think, go a little bit further in a and perhaps next week if we don't get through it this week. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And if you look at my nickname on the side of the, over there, it says Objects of Grace. And, uh, many years ago, the first, one of the first Bibles I bought for myself was a, uh, Greek interlinear. And I've got here in front of me, one of those editions, and it is, and, and, and you might want to, some of you might want to put your hand over your ear, uh, because this is a Stephen's text. What does that mean? Now, these are, there's a lot of argument as to how good these texts are and so forth. But uh, it's more than just a, a, a something that was written by one person. There were many who, of the the big names uh, such as uh, Elsevier, Breivak, Lachman, Tischendorf, Trugelis. Uh They all make a, adjustments to the, to the meaning of these words and so forth as you go through this. this. But what I want to read directly to you is out of this verse that we're looking at in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to get there. I'm going to read you from an interlinear. And forgive me for being slow here. Okay, Ephesians 1 and verse 6 says this in the English, which is just below all the Greek words that are listed here. It says, to the praise, let me back up, verse 5. Having predestinated us for adoption through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the of glory, 
of grace, uh, wherein he made, made us objects of grace in the beloved. And if you think about what he's saying here, and he's, he's literally taking a word that's used uh, also of Mary, he speaks of that, which is extremely um, wonderful, the fact that we have been, uh, hang on here, these are very small words to read, and he says, we have been made objects of grace. So think about that. If this is true, if these words are true, and the way they've been put into this portion of Scripture, uh, think about what he has done with us. We have been made objects of grace for the rest of the world. If you read the Acts period books by the Apostle Paul and what he went through, there's a verse in Corinthians that speaks about the fact that uh, we're on a big stage and the rest of the world is watching and uh, and this is how uh, the, the way they approach their athletics and so forth in the arenas and whatever. But uh, here we are, made objects of grace. Let's read on, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. If you go, you know, if you think about these things, I mean, I'm looking at my, this, my Bible here, I underscored, uh, 4-1, according, and 5, we read about according to the good pleasure of his will. See, uh, we read according as he has chosen us, according to the good pleasure of his will. In verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 9, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Verse 11, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. So there's there's so many, there's multiple ways of looking at, taking the book of Ephesians and looking at the words, and it just goes on and on and on. And to think that we've been put in a position before the world and before principalities and powers and and with the uh, ability to uh, worship the Lord and make him uh, no, make him known to the rest of the world so the Lord has put us in that position uh, let me just read on a little bit more uh, verse 9 having made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he had purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and I've written in here, regarding the purpose of the stewardship of the fullness of times, he is gathering, uh, heading up in one, in one, as we see here in verse 10, all things in Christ which are in heaven, and which are on earth even in him. And I might have left off some words there intentionally because they're not in the, the the text. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated estimated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ and you have a choice here of understanding that he, what he may be saying here is 
first hope, not just merely hoped in Christ, but there is a first hope, and, and our hope is a first hope. What does that mean? Well, that probably means, if it's true, that we're going to be the first group out of here. Goodbye to that planet Earth. Verse 13, in whom ye also, uh, in, in whom ye, and that's in, in, in the word trusted is not there. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, it's the down payment, it's covered, can't take it back. Our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And so those are the words that Paul brings before us that speaks of us, the condition we're in, what we have in Christ, etc., etc., etc. You can talk about it all day long and never get enough of it. And then he wants to deal, so he's got a prayer that the Father of glory may give unto us, verse 17, may give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then the issue is, is this an acknowledgement for us? And if, and what that means is, if it's, if, uh, it, this is for the acknowledgement of him, and let me read this in a little bit better. We're going to take this uh, in time and, and uh, exploit it better along with several passages that have the word acknowledgement in it. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation is found in the acknowledgement. So there's action on our part. Here's this list of things that we've been blessed with. Now what are we going to do about it? And we have the opportunity to acknowledge it. It's an action on our part. We can recognize it. And then these things that we're he's praying for will come to life. And without that action, some of these things that he's praying for, uh, we may lose lose the opportunity for. So we're going to get into that in a, a greater way, and we'll see uh, partly how this, these wor- two words in particular will be used uh, in that sense. Now, I did not check my watch or my time here when we began, so I'm going to presume we are approximately, I don't know, 15 minutes into this thing. So I'll, I'll be trying to watch the, the clock here. Be a little careful. So I'm going to begin with turning to Second Samuel chapter 11, and I'm afraid some of these are long passages. And if uh, if that is the case, we won't get to get go through very many of them. This one, we're going to look at a few places in the Old Testament where the word acknowledge is used and what that meant to them. And it just kind of opens the door for us. I also have a uh, the sun blasting in here at my uh, Bible, and it just happens to be that time of the year that the sun goes over, and I can hardly see what I'm reading here. So bear with me for a moment here. Let's turn to Second uh, Samuel chapter 11. Try to read this somewhat quick, quickly, but not lose the. Um, the, the words and so forth. Second Samuel chapter eleven, and this has to do with David. 
So uh, let's begin with verse 1 here. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they dis- they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem, and it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the, wo- the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the... I'm not going to do a, a lot of editing to this, but uh, some of the words here that's used to David, very surprising. And, and But when you begin to consider the Lord's grace and his mercy and so forth, uh, David doesn't play well in this picture, but the Lord certainly does. David said, uh, inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came unto him, and he he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Uh, I think rather than, well, you know, we got two or three Let's read a little bit more, but we do have a couple of chapters here. I don't want to drag it out, drag it out too long. Uh, and David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Jo- Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah was come to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And wash my feet. And Uriah deported, departed, excuse me here, out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down into thine house? And David said, and Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. So this angers David, and we know a little bit about the story here. Uh, let's drop down to chapter 12. Read a little bit further. Uh, and the Lord said, okay, so this is after that event. And we find out that uh, well, verse 21 of chapter 11, we didn't read far enough. Uh, verse 20, and if so be that the king's wrath arise and he say unto thee, Where, uh, wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote, uh, who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerobeth? Uh, Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that he he died in Debes? Why went ye near the wall? Then sayest thou, then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Well, there's a long passage of scripture there that we passed up. We would make it more clear as to what happened. But I think you're all aware. Of what David had done and what 
had happened. And so uh, we read at the bottom here in verse 27, And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her, Uriah's wife, to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So there's a lot of things, great things we can write about David, but there's a few that are uh, very heart-strung in the sense that uh, this was some serious business here. So let's read a few verses here in Second Samuel. Don't forget, we're talking about acknowledgement. And the Lord sent Nathan unto, to David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one, one city. Uh, let me back up here. There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his own bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man, that was coming to him, but take, took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into into thy bosom and gave them the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah, the Hittite with the sword, and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Uh, without reading on, I think what we'll do is consider some things here. We can see that David shows no remorse or anything. It appears to what he had done, and he's quick to judge another one that's brought to his attention. And, uh, well, let's read this next three or four verses here. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from mine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Now, you know, today, when anything happens to a politician, the first thing to do, depending on which side you're on, is to, is to depress it and keep it unknown. And so you do everything you can to avoid being exposed or whatever. One thing the Lord did not do when he wrote the, when he allowed this book to be written, and he, he put put it into the language that we can understand. One thing he did not do was cover anything up. And here is David, I mean, of all people, you would want 
want not want this not to get around. But uh, the Lord is not that way, and He's going to tell the truth, and we're going to see the results of it. Uh, he says, uh, "For uh, you did it secretly, and will, and I will do this thing before all, all Israel and before the sun." And David said to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." And Nathan said unto David, "The Lord also hath put a, put away thy sin; thou shalt not die." So at this point, David. He he was definitely aware. He had a knowledge of what he had done. He had a knowledge of what should have been done to him. Let's turn over to Psalm chapter 32. We're going to look at two psalms real quick that bring this something to our attention here. Whether or not how you want to interpret it is up to you, but the Lord is going to show us his side of this thing. So I say, I said, uh, Psalm 32, 1 to 6, real quickly. Blessed he, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. I believe these are both verses that are quoted in Romans. And, and whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my, so these are the words of David. <clears throat> when I kept silence, and so the margin indicates this probably was written in behalf of what he had done with Uriah. I kept silence, my bones whacked, waxed old, though my roaring all the day long. And, uh, I had that written down what this, this roaring is, but it was a, it was, he was of great anguish. He was hiding, he was holding this inside, and it was killing him. Those are my words. I mean, this, what, what had happened? Somehow and somewhere in this, David addressed, or David was aware of what the word said, what the law said, and so forth. He really was in a position that should have been put to death. But the Lord had a plan here. It says, for uh, he says, uh, verse 4, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the draught of summer. Selah. And now his, here's, here's what we're reading, reading these verses for. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And we can read on uh, a lot of beautiful things that happen here and written in Scripture. But notice it says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin. And maybe I should. Oh, let's see. Let's look at one more passage here real quick. Uh, let's go over to Isaiah, or to Psalms chapter 51 and read the, a couple of verses here. And this says, it's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So both of these passages of scripture, I believe, are associated with that event. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I acknowledge my transgressions. It would be one thing that he, he would sit there and in anguish continually with the fact, with knowing what he had done was wrong. So he definitely had a knowledge of it. But now he takes action. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaken, shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Uh, verse 10, I'll just read a couple more. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I've said many times, this is going to be one of the worst things that can happen to a believer. Is you do something that destroys the joy of, thy, of his salvation. Uh, I will teach grandsters thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And I'm, I'm going to stop there. There's plenty we can read, but uh, I'm taking more time on this particular one than I, I wanted to. So we see basically here was David with a great sin in his life um, acknowledged something before the Lord, and it was it wasn't until that acknowledgement that he he was back on his feet, so to speak. And the Lord uh, forgave him and so forth. And there's lots of lots of songs that read about things that could have uh, be associated with that. Uh, let's turn over to Proverbs 3. And let me see. We're going to go, we'll just go through two or three more of the more of these and and uh, and we'll stop there. But you're well aware of, of this particular passage of scripture. In Proverbs chapter 3, and in 5 and 6, we know these scriptures well. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, what? Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So, the, we've been asked here to, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, and to lean not unto our own understanding, and then we take action. So these are these are action words, I believe, when you when you look at them, especially when he when we acknowledge, and then what's the answer to that? He shall direct our path. That's simple, uh, but it comes it brings our attention to what we're what our subject is. What we're going to see as we as we go through some of these verses. Some of them will be epigenosis, some of them will be epigenosco, some of them will just be plain old gnosis. And, and it will be difficult in some places to, uh, to understand which word is right or if it's, if it's not, not right at all. And, uh, and as I say, if you would do a, a study and a search and so forth as to how this word is actually interpreted. Most of the time, the the writers have agreed that, that 
These two words mean the same thing, with or without epi in front of it. It means the same thing. By putting that word, putting that prefix to it, makes it gives it some action, and we'll see how that action word is used uh, and is available to us. I think the real gist of doing what we're doing here is that is there something we're missing? Of being, you know, we've got we can think of that long list. We have a knowledge of that long list that we read of over in Ephesians chapter 1 a moment ago. The question is, are we losing out on something because we haven't acknowledged it? And uh, I think there are many people who have uh, come to a point where they understood a lot of uh, the things concerning the mystery and so forth, and yet they were not... uh, they somewhat were like David in the sense that uh, these things didn't, they were knowledge to him, but they didn't, he didn't acknowledge things. I'm not, I'm not referring to that particular event, but the fact of his, what he had in his hands, so to speak, from God, from his youth up, uh, was tremendous. <clears throat> and he lost some of that, at least for a while. And uh, and I think we'll we'll see scriptures here that, that will affect us in, in our our time also. Uh, so let's look at, uh, let's turn over to, I've got some choices here. I'm going to start with Luke 24. I think we'll do this just for a few more minutes and we'll stop and we'll pick it up next week. Luke 24 and uh, beginning in verse 13. This is uh, after the Lord's, this, the, the day of the Lord's uh, resurrection, and um, I said twenty-four, right? twenty-four, thirteen. Let's see. So this is after several of them had gone to the grave and they saw it was empty, and then and the word was getting around amongst them. In verse 10, thirteen, we read, "Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs." And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus himself, drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. There's our word. Um, oh, should not. This is actually epigonosco. They did not epigonosco him. <laughs> they did not have, uh, they did not recognize him is a good way to put it. So the word that we're looking at, which has to do with uh, acknowledgement, is, uh, can also be trans, translated, recognized. So they're walking along, Jesus comes in, and their eyes were holding that they should not know him recognize him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass uh, there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus from Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all 
uh, all the people, and how the chief priests and other and our rulers deliver him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been uh, he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside this, today is the third day since the things were done. Uh, and they go on speaking to the Lord. Let's go down a little bit further here. Verse 27, just before 27. Uh, so if you're still explaining in verse 24, and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then said, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not, not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. And they drew near to the village whither they went, and he made as though, he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into, went into tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he said at meat with them, he took bread. Okay, look at this portion here. He took bread. So this is what? A week, of, a week before, or several days before, that they broke bread and, and blessed it. He said at meat with them, and he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. And what happened? They remembered something here. Just a few days before, they broke bread with him. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of sight. So now it says what? He, they epignoscoed here. They, had, uh, they, they recognized him. And... <clears throat> It was just a timing on the Lord's part as well as obviously all in the Lord's hand. Uh, one more quick verse down in verse 35. I think I'm going to stop here. Uh, so they go on to talk to some of the others about this, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Uh, I didn't manage, mention back in 31 when it says, and he vanished out of their sight, but his bones are saved. Became invisible. So, I mean, you can imagine these things going through their, their mind. You can imagine why we human beings don't often acknowledge what we need to acknowledge. And it's simply, usually simply right there in front of us. <coughs> I'm going to stop there. We got a, quite, a, quite a few more of these. No, not a, maybe not too many, but at least one more um, lessons worth that we'll try to go through next week. So anyway, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful word of yours. Thank you what we have in Christ, what has been given us. Father, we ask that you call to our attention when we need to uh, acknowledge, when we need to act on your scriptures. Thank you for each one here, for what we share in Christ. These things we thank you in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus. Amen.